0: Um, hi everybody welcome to address with statecraft uh, today we have with us sakshi agarwal who's one of our researchers working at project statecraft and we have abhishek surke who's the president of the organization uh, we're here to talk about vaccine diplomacy an issue that's come up uh, pretty frequently in the past and we thought it's a good um, opportunity to delve deeper into the topic what it means for india what it means for the world and um, what caused the shift in the perception of vaccine diplomacy and vaccine nationalism as a whole right um hi sakshi hi abhishek Um, Glad to have you on board.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Shriyas. Really glad to be here uh,
2: and discuss about the vaccine diplomacy. I think it's a very pertinent topic to discuss
0: uh, today. And uh, it's great to be discussing this. Uh, Really happy to be here. Great, great. Um, So we'll start with just a brief introduction of what is vaccine diplomacy and the concept behind it and what it means in the context of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Um Sakshi do you want to
1: go ahead Um yeah sure uh, so vaccine diplomacy has been around for quite some time and i think uh naturally it started off uh, or it is a term that refers to a branch of global health diplomacy uh which is concerned with the use and or delivery of vaccines and um it's mostly a modern day uh, diplomacy that has uh, broken down barriers and introduced a space for exports and sort of a multi um Uh, stakeholder collaboration between different parties, not just states, uh, to sort of work together towards building cooperation and towards uh, getting uh, to address uh, whatever the pertinent uh, global issues, uh, the global health issues are. And this necessarily functions uh, in the space of soft power diplomacy, which is uh, basically using uh, your friendship ties, and building up cooperative ties with different countries and to sort of navigate that space in order to leverage your, you know, connections and um, build up your diplomatic relations with other states. And this is different from your hard uh, power diplomacy, which is using force to assert your power or dominance over other countries and leverage that.
0: Right. Right. And Abhishek, you just want to let us know about what this has done in the case of the coronavirus pandemic? Um, what are the different stances countries have taken and what does the picture of vaccine diplomacy look like worldwide? As of today.
2: Thank you, Shis. Um And yeah, thank you, Sakshi. So um, as Sakshi mentioned, vaccine diplomacy largely, largely functions in the soft power space. So essentially what this uh, sort of creates is uh, is that the countries build on to the ties that they that they already have so that's uh, essentially how soft power politics usually works because uh, forging a new bond is not something that happens through so, uh, through soft power politics so i think uh, uh, that sort of sets a context for how the countries of the world have also taken a stance now uh, when you want to discuss major countries who who have Taken the stance on vaccine diplomacy and who are engaging in vaccine diplomacy, uh, they are, they are divided in, in, in the west and the east. So, if you look at uh, the United Kingdom, it, it tried a very huge vaccine diplomacy strategy using AstraZeneca, but uh, it sort of hit a massive roadblock, uh, because of its non acceptance in African countries, because of its non acceptance in some other countries, and uh. Uh, it, it created a lot of problems for uh, United Kingdom and basically faltered their vaccine diplomacy strategy. Now, if you look on the other side of the of of the globe, right, uh, which is Russia, Russia's vaccine diplomacy strategy has been um, extremely great to a large extent because essentially they are uh, they are working on building the ties that they already have and uh, to and, and and to and to forge stronger bonds. So uh, when you look at Russia. Uh, signing uh signing these agreements on uh, on on transfer of vaccines with countries such as belarus or countries such as uh hungary then there is a huge there's, there's a there's a political background to it where relations between putin and relations between the heads of these states are already strong so uh, that's how russia has been dabbling but uh, one of the downsides of russia's vaccine diplomacy strategy is uh, is a darker side of it so uh, russia while it has been while it has engaged really well in building the credibility for uh, the sputnik 5 which is which is russia's vaccine it has also sort of created uh, used means such as disinformation and uh, uh, other tactics against other vaccines which is essentially gaining it a very negative Uh, response a very negative credibility in the international forum so that's a that's a that's a bad side of uh, russia's uh, vaccine diplomacy but if you look at china china's vaccine diplomacy has been on point uh, when it comes to their own goals Um, but from an optical angle uh, because it is largely being linked to the belt and road initiative even that is uh, sort of creating a, a wrong image in front of the world um, I think one country which has impeccably utilised its vaccine diplomacy tool is is India. Because uh, India has sort of created uh, for itself a saviour-like image rather than a political image or a bureaucratic image when it comes to vaccine diplomacy and I think that is great. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's really important to sort of make sure that a subject as sensitive as a global pandemic Uh, is dealt in such a manner so uh, but yeah as like as I think we explore in this episode further um, India's own story when it comes to vaccines is is not is not very great and uh, while it has gained uh, it laurels elsewhere uh, there are still issues with it and uh, I I think I would love to discuss that going forward. Thank you.
0: Right, I think that segues us beautifully into the next aspect of this episode, which is to talk about India's role in global vaccine diplomacy. Um, Sashi, can you tell us a little bit about what India has partaken in so far with regards to vaccine diplomacy, what are the countries that we've looked to establish relationships with using this technique of soft power, Um, and tell us a little bit more about the policy that we follow? Yeah,
1: sure, Uh, thanks. Uh, as Abhishek rightly mentioned, definitely India has been uh, adopting this sort of savior image and uh, the two, I think, phrases that uh, definitely crop up again and again is one, uh, vaccine metri, which is maitri being the Hindi word for uh, friendship and Seva parmo dharm which is uh, service to all, which uh, India has been uh, focusing on and trying to build that and uh, build up the cooperations and networks. And I think, again, also India has been leveraging its role as a sort of pharmacy for the world, which uh, entails that um, as of like 2020, when it was starting out, uh, there were about... 16 million pharmaceutical test kits and other medical equipment that India had sent out to uh, countries. I think uh, in terms of figures, India has uh, sent about 3.3 million uh, doses of the vaccine to Bangladesh, uh, 1.7 million to Myanmar, 1.1 million to Nepal, uh, 0.5 million to uh, Sri Lanka, And uh, this is apart from like uh, 0.2 million doses that it has sent to even the UN peacekeeping, the UN peacekeepers. And uh, it has also signed up, or it has already sent actually uh, 18.1 million doses to the COVID vaccine global access, which is the COVAX, the global initiative that was coordinated by the World Health Organization and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations and Gabi um uh, the vaccine uh yeah the vaccine alliance and um uh, yeah so this has been mostly india's contribution up till now and um uh, in terms of the global vaccine production so I think it accounts totally um in, in total it accounts for about sixty two percent of the vaccine production yeah
0: All right so i understand how to the extent that india has partaken in uh, gl- global vaccine diplomacy uh, but abhishek could you tell us a little bit about why india would take up this stance considering the fact that india is not like the countries you talked about before right when it comes to china or russia um, china d- might might have the same uh, sort of population metrics in order for them to manage their own domestic affairs as well as their international affairs uh, but the way their government and bureaucracy is run is very different to how india is run right so uh, what was the sort of trade-off that we were making when we took up this stance considering our domestic issues that we had um, and the type of vaccine production uh, numbers that we had as well as the, uh, the financial losses that we essentially have to recuperate. Um, were they worth the trade-off for you uh, in terms of the soft power we gained?
2: Um, so I think the problem with soft power is that uh, it's extremely difficult to sort of quantify and uh, to measure against. I think uh, one of the indicators that, that would tell us um, how how the soft power has actually worked out is is probably um, in the near future when a decision gets taken on uh, on the patent on the on the temporary patent waiver that uh, India sub India and South Africa submitted to the World Trade Organization, um, and also how France's efforts or how some of the other countries' efforts who uh, basically called out at the G7 forum this year for reduction in the cost of subsidizing the costs of um, ingredients to be sent to india for creation of vaccine so um, while these are small wins uh, the results of this is something that could define how well our uh, soft power strategy has worked um but i think it it has a different comp- it, it has a it, it has a other component to it as well um when it comes to say countries like china or russia um, keeping the popular uh keeping their uh, capability aside it's uh and the way they run the government also aside uh, if you if you look at the number of people inoculated in these countries it's it's much lesser as compared to india um and uh, it's essentially because uh, they have sort of adopted this approach where they have prioritized their foreign affairs um to a larger extent than their domestic affairs, when it comes to put put it very bluntly out there, um, but uh, India, uh, in India, couldn't do the same thing because being, uh, being a democracy and uh, having an you know, opposition in the country, it sort of brings uh, into question these kind of moves, and that's something which is happening. It's it's just a sign of uh, of a healthy uh, opposition. Um, I think one of the things that India needs to uh, sort of do to make sure that its its foreign policy of um, pushing multilateralism ahead goes in hand-in-hand in hand with its own vaccine diplomacy and India is able to keep up its image uh, as a multilateral power which is bound by a rule of law, which uh, respects other countries' sovereignty and uh, is basically the savior of the world as As, as and I mentioned earlier, um, is the international global initiative of the World Health Organization is COVAX. Uh, but the problem with COVAX global access is that it has been failing to a large extent. So I think that's that's something which uh, we could also discuss because I think it's uh, India's vaccine diplomacy strategy and India's foreign affairs strategy when it comes to this particular issue largely hinges on the success of a multilateral initiative such as uh, the global COVAX.
0: Right. So you talked about how um, the countries that have sort of prioritized vaccine diplomacy have done it at the cost of their domestic populations, right? Uh, but I still think there's a difference between a country like China and India. I'm taking these two because I think it's the sensible one to look at, considering the population metrics, right? Because I think when it comes to a pandemic, that seems like a pretty good criteria to use. Um, China recently reported, I think, as of Uh, the 20th that they reached 1 billion vaccine doses given out to their population right so uh, that seems like a significant lot more than what India has been able to achieve so far and this is despite us having to um, sort of uh, clamp down on vaccine diplomacy and go to the extent of accepting aid from other countries when the second wave when during the advent of the second wave of the coronavirus pandemic Um, so do you think that because we're a democracy and the fact that the opposition did have say did have a say in regards to what our policy would look like and uh, how the prioritization between our domestic population and the global population is like, uh, do you think that that is that affected our policy regarding vaccine diplomacy and that that's what caused the decline of vaccine diplomacy in India?
2: As I said, so vaccine diplomacy is a is is a, is a soft power issue. Uh we cannot outright say that it has declined uh, per se because when it comes to soft power uh, unlike hard power initiatives such as uh, uh, such as hard negotiations or uh, agreements and these kind of things soft power really hinges on uh, the future of certain initiatives and uh, uh, when it comes to the role of opposition i think I think it's supposed to influence uh, the policy because if it's not going to, then we are not doing a great job as a as a democracy um, when it comes to how successful we could be um, i think it's it's difficult to measure right now it's uh, difficult to say and drawing comparisons would also be slightly um, unfair to the government or to the people who are working in in, in create in, in development of these vaccines um, but yeah, I think India needs to give that multilateral initiative a push uh, if it's one if it wants to have, have have success at its vaccine diplomacy strategy.
0: Right, yeah, fair enough. Um Sashi, could you tell us a little bit about um what what the advent of the second wave um, sort of how it affected our vaccine diplomacy strategy and our policies? Um How much did the focus have to shift between uh, looking at our uh, foreign policy and looking at what is happening inside our own country? And um, what are the sort of impacts it's had on our image? Because you talked about how we had a sort of savior image at the start when vaccines were first being produced and manufactured and uh, diplomacy was a huge part of it. As compared to say a month previous to this, when we had to accept aid for testing kits, uh, PPE kits, as well as vaccines, um, which we got from Russia, for instance. Um, what is the sort of impact that the second wave has had on our vaccine diplomacy strategy? Uh,
1: I guess uh, in terms of, uh, I mean, this would bring us to a little bit of a criticism of um, the timing, so to say, of when this vaccine diplomacy initiative was launched. Because I think uh, what one of the major drawbacks was that they did not fully estimate the need or the urgency for vaccinating all the people Um domestically rather and shifting the view uh, towards a more global one and I think uh, there was a serious lack of uh, I think um, consideration regarding how many vaccine doses would be required to fulfill the demands both domestically and outside and um, definitely when you um, talk about uh, how much of the second wave has impacted India I think there was a lack of uh, preparedness to deal with the second wave. I think that really heavily got impacted during this time and I think what India hoped to do was uh, to leverage its role as the savior as uh, we had discussed and what it created in doing or in sort of expending its resources outside was that There was an inequitable distribution of vaccines within the country itself, leading to a lot of disparity and a lot of, uh, you know, loss of or a lot of gap between the people who were vaccinated and who were left out. And I think in terms of the global image that this gives India is that making all those promises and then uh, the kind of uh, not being able to sort of live up to that has definitely got a lot of eyes on India at the moment and the vaccine diplomacy. had to be uh, curbed and uh, the whole process had to be curbed down a bit and um, the vaccines had to be transferred or had to be redirected to the domestic uh, use and this has had a deep impact on the countries that india was aiding because they are mostly from sub-saharan africa they're from latin america even Our neighboring countries like uh, Nepal and Sri Lanka, they have had uh, problems to, you know, build up their capacity for vaccines and they don't have the necessary infrastructure for the same. And right now they're reaching the capacity or they're reaching um, the last doses and the last, um, you know, few left uh, equipments. So in terms of that, definitely it has impacted uh, the global space as well. Yeah.
0: All right, so uh, let me just play a devil's advocate for a minute, um, because one of the things that we hear when we talk about the lack of preparedness for the second wave is that hindsight is a wonderful thing, right? I mean, looking back at it from now, we can see that, okay, maybe engaging uh, to that extent vaccine diplomacy wasn't the smartest move, considering that our own population wasn't, was at so much risk. Um, now, was this something that could have actually been prevented without the help of hindsight? Uh, was it like... Um, was the data available for us to do such a thing and um, were the vaccines that were cl- um, preserved for exports, um, did, could we actually afford to do them at the time considering the the number of cases going on at the time and the number of vaccinations even domestically uh, per day that were being uh, distributed. Um, was it is it just a hindsight thing that we look at it and we say that okay maybe that was a bad move or was it like uh, was it actively something that we could have avoided by looking at the data a little better.
1: Um, I think this is a question that, uh, I mean, as you say, in hindsight, it is very easy to see where we could have uh, done better or where we would have failed and stuff and I think uh, given the situation there, there was a little bit of uh, maybe overconfidence in sort of dealing with the falling number of cases. Uh, I think especially what comes to mind is uh, the PM, uh, the PM speech that was made uh, during the Davos uh, forum and how we rose up to the challenge and everything. And I guess uh, what uh, could have been done was, I mean, there they can be debates and debates upon what could have been done. But uh right now, I think in terms of what can be done is what needs to be focused upon, if that makes sense. And Abhishek? Please feel free to share your views on this.
2: Yeah. Um, thanks, actually. Um, I think yeah. I mean, in the in the in the hindsight, uh, if we were to look at look at any soft power initiative, to be honest, in the hindsight, it's it's going to be difficult to gauge its impact. Um, and if we were to look at uh, a broad scope of how much this could impact uh, the country in the future, I think the scope is huge. Um, especially because uh, it is it, it is opening doors for India on a lot of economic fronts, which could support the supply chains in the future. Um, if you look at uh, if, if, if you look at one of the calls that were made at the G7 summit this year in um, the United Kingdom, where uh, France, uh, the president of France, we see vouched for uh, uh, vouched and endorsed the idea that there needs to be subsidization of ingredients that go from uh, other countries to India. For example, if you if you look at any vaccine, right, any vaccine is extremely difficult to prepare. For example, the Pfizer vaccine itself, um, it requires almost 180 different components which come from many different countries and uh, the supply chain of it is extremely complex. Um, the development of vaccines is extremely complex and the wait time right now on vaccines is huge as well. So um, one of the things that uh, would be a huge plus that I think a lot of people are losing um, is the kind of doors it could open for India when it comes to the supply chains of the world because uh, the way it works is uh, nothing can be just temporary, right? Uh, If countries are going to decide to send... Uh, ingredients to India for or at a subsidized rate. Uh, the supp- a supply chain is going to get created over there. It's going to get bolstered with time, and it's going to support the country in the long run. So um, I think that's something which everybody needs to take a cognizance of, and uh, that's that's a that's a very important factor which which needs to go into evaluate, evaluating how successful this strategy would be or was.
0: Right, that makes sense. And I agree that it can be very difficult to quantify uh, the effects of what a soft power strategy would look like. Uh, But that brings me to the next thing, which is that a lot of these supply chain problems that you talked about are because of globalization, right? But with the advent of vaccine diplomacy, another concept that also grew a lot of popularity was vaccine nationalism. Um, So Sakshi, could you quickly tell us about what vaccine nationalism refers to and um, some countries that have been um, sort of following vaccine nationalism and what that how that helps tackle the ongoing pandemic.
1: Uh yeah, sure. Uh so vaccine nationalism basically refers to um the countries not sharing their vaccines or the supply chains of the vaccines with other countries before their own citizens are vaccinated. And I think the way it plays into um uh first the countries that have been doing this are uh the US and um Italy, for example, and the way it plays into uh, this is that domestic needs are met first before a global um, outlook or helping the other nations. And uh, this has affected, um, I guess, the uh, whole uh, COVID pandemic in the sense that uh, when you take US for example being such a big country it is it makes up a large chunk of the population of the world and I think uh, curbing or controlling COVID there uh, would largely impact the way in which the spread of COVID was affected um, and then there are of course definitely different views to take um, in this matter yeah
0: right and Apshay Quickly help us compare the two strategies. Uh, When you look at a country like US, which is considered one of the global superpowers, and the fact that they have taken it upon themselves to help out the rest of the world in a lot of different scenarios in the past. Um, Adopting the strategy of vaccine nationalism, um, it has drawn a lot of criticism from a lot of countries around the world, particularly the ones who are uh, fairly poor off when it comes to socioeconomic status, um, because of the fact that the US is such a rich country and they're able to produce those many number of vaccines, but um, they are reluctant to share it with the rest of the world, um, and the rest of the world is also something uh, is suffering because of the pandemic. right? Um, so what are the sort of uh, trade-offs that are there between vaccine nationalism and vaccine diplomacy? Because we saw the shortages that India had and how it affected them domestically uh, by, by undertaking this policy of vaccine diplomacy. So what are some of the shortages that US has had with regards to vaccine nationalism and sort of compare the two?
2: Um, yeah so when it comes to united states it's it's actually a very different uh um, situation so uh, one of the very popular uh, acts which came to the forefront once again with with the whole pandemic uh, was the defense production act or the dpa which or the dpa which is uh, which has been enacted in the united states when it comes to vaccines so uh, this defense production act uh, sort of provides gives the federal government the power to clamp down on any exports uh, from the country if it's against the interests of the American people, and uh, that's 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 basically what's stopping uh, the government from exporting it and creating itself as or or like you know taking on a role as a power which is supporting other countries with vaccine. Um, so while the United States cannot do that. Uh, because of the Defense Production Act, which, which it did in order to bolster the, the, the process of creating vaccines. Um, it does not mean that uh, a, a nationalistic approach is being taken. Uh, I think within the current administration, at least the Biden administration in the United States is uh, very different from the Trump administration when it comes to this aspect. So if uh, the Trump administration was in power and uh, if there were no smaller caveats and, and smaller uh, things, please, which was still through which uh, the United States was still supporting other countries, then I would definitely term it as vaccine nationalism. Uh, but I think the Biden administration is sort of provi- uh, finding a way around uh, this vaccine diplomacy not being just of the kind that vaccines are provided uh, but it's rather something that uh, uh, Biden is sort of helping other countries with through different ways, right? Uh, Supporting the supply chains of these countries or providing funding for uh, these countries to go on and uh, uh, create their own vaccines or import vaccines from other countries. So one of the things that uh, did happen recently uh, was when the Biden Biden administration allocated uh, uh, 25 million uh, doses to low and middle income countries and uh, this happened through the COVAX Global Vaccine Program for distribution. So uh, when it comes to the United States, uh, it is uh, I don't think it is vaccine nationalism. I think it's a very different form of vaccine diplomacy which they are engaged in, uh, which they are taking a, 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 a much bigger multilateral route. And I think India could have followed their their footsteps because uh, that way India could have protected their own image as a multilateral uh, or country, as as a, as a multilateral driven country and at the same time supported its own population. Uh, but I think that's, that's a whole different debate together about uh, uh, how they can be compared. Uh, I think it's slightly challenging to compare uh, these two when it comes to this nuanced issue. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we were to compare, then I think we would have to compare it back to uh, the Korean War as well, when uh, because that's when the Defense Production Act was brought in. Um, but yeah, I think at the end, uh, it's about how the thing, how things end up. And uh, I think United States government is on the right trajectory but I think that's that's, that's my opinion at the end of the day, yeah.
0: Right, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know it's not strictly vaccine nationalism, it was sort of a shift from focusing on domestic then moving on to the multilateral issues that they had to deal with. Uh, but I think that gave us a pretty good picture of how the two compare. So, uh, I think we're to the last segment of this uh, topic which is what do you think the long term impacts of uh, vaccine diplomacy and the different decisions that india has taken um, regarding the regarding their vaccine policy uh, will be so say 3 months from now 6 months from now, from now a year from now um, do we think that it's going to have a good a positive impact on india considering that we have exported a lot of vaccine doses despite the ongoing crisis in our country um, or do we think that the fact that we had to renege on some of our commitments means that um, it can have some negative impacts. What do we think the picture looks like? Uh, Abhishek, could you go first? So
2: I think um, one of the issues that um, comes up with uh, with the whole vaccine diplomacy for the future is the way it has realigned the status of uh, various countries in the world. Um, I, think, I think this would vary from country to country, but if we have to take a broader stock of how the issue would, uh, would leave the country I think there are two parts to it first one being the humanitarian part um, I think the vaccine diplomacy has supported a lot of countries so that's a great part uh, I mean countries in, in, in Africa, countries in Latin America uh, in the Caribbean, so many island countries which uh, so many Asian countries which did not create their own vaccine it's very important for them uh, to make sure that their populations are inoculated, and with waves of um, various COVID, uh, various various viruses coming in, um, it becomes even more and more challenging. So, it, it is very important. Uh, it was important for this to happen. And uh, from a humanitarian perspective, I think it leaves us in a much better place than earlier. Um, when it comes to the political side of it, I think the political side of it becomes much more complicated. Uh, so you have you have countries such as Russia and China, which which have which are assertive, which which do not really follow the rule of law uh, uh, in the best possible manner uh, in 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 the world, and them taking a massive role in this, their uh, vaccine diplomacy strategy being a success. Sort of creates a problem for the entire world, and uh, it it would create an issue on uh, the rule of law front, especially because wh- if and when the Belt and Road Initiative is a is a massive success for China, we do not know how many countries are going to end up in a debt crisis. Um, if you Myanmar itself, then um, before the coup happened uh, this year. Uh, uh, the leader of myanmar Sansu Kyi, uh made a made a tremendous decision of going with india's vaccine rather than china's and i think that helped myanmar keep itself out of the clutches of the, of of china and uh, that was that was a great decision for myanmar because the coup that was incoming uh, with china's vaccines over there we we cannot we cannot even imagine what what could have happened uh, and same goes for uh, same goes for uh, for, for, the, for the death strategy that uh, China employs and uh, how much it could have sort of capitalized on the vaccine diplomacy in the future is is a question uh, by itself. So I think uh, from a political sense, it becomes difficult uh, for the world when assertive actors such as the People's Republic of China or Russian Federation, uh, they get access to the global uh, platforms they get access to better better relations. Um, then it becomes a challenge. Uh, for example, if you take Russia's example, then how uh, how effective are the sanctions going to be after if and when uh, Russia's Sputnik 5 uh, strategy is a, is a tremendous success, then how how effective are the sanctions going to be? Um, so I think all of these questions make the political scenario very tricky and uh, very nasty as well and as i mentioned earlier russia's uh, disinformation campaign on other vaccines is a, is a, is a is a different case altogether so i think is going to end up as a dual edged sword when we look back at it 15 20 years down the line that uh, yeah i mean it it had its pros it saved the humanity but um, at what cost is something that i think we will we will question in the future
0: right and Sakshi could you tell us a little bit about uh, what the domestic impacts it's going to have um, the different decisions we've made over the past six months um, on India in particular considering like how what sort of impacts will it have on us uh, dealing with say the second wave the decline of the second wave as well as the advent of the third wave which many experts are predicting will occur
2: um, so I have, a, I have a very unpopular opinion when it comes to this uh, when it comes to how India would be able to deal with uh, with COVID and um, I think my uh, opinion is is supported by uh, the fact that so many variants are coming out. So I have a very uh, I have a very different opinion that uh, when it comes to um, India, even if we wouldn't have been able to help a lot of other population, uh, the current efficacy of the vaccines which are available to the new variants that are coming out say delta or uh, delta plus which is which is a new variant is is questionable um we are we are already getting reports of third wave of covid coming in maharashtra in the next 2 to 2 to 4 weeks and if that's going to happen we do not know the kind of variants it's going to bring in um so i think while vaccine is protecting a lot of people and vaccine is important it's it's extremely important to get inoculated um i think just inoculation is not um the solution today it's very important that we are we are, we are able to look beyond just inoculation and actually look at how uh, efficient our vaccines can be made how efficient they can how how efficient they would be against future variants that are coming in because i think uh, the thing with the virus itself is that it mutates itself very easily and if it's if it's going to keep mutating then Um, I think India would have to or any other country should take a route by which it has access to the top-notch talent in the world, uh, the best experts in the world and who are able to collectively solve this problem because if this is going to exist for another 10 years and if a new variant is going to come out every year, then I think it's it's best to be prepared together and that would have been impossible uh, without India engaging in an active vaccine diplomacy campaign because uh, we aren't as... uh, we aren't as important to rest of the countries as, uh, say, China is, or as United States is, uh, just yet. So things like this uh, are important. So I think if we are able to sort of capitalize on uh, getting access to that intellectual, uh, to, to 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 that in, uh, intellectual capability, and are able to solve this issue in the future together, then I think that's a huge win uh, for India and for the people of India as well. Uh, and i think we we have to look beyond just the short term effects
0: of it right and Sakshi, your thoughts on all of it the impacts that it's going to have both internationally as well as domestically
1: um yeah I, I think abhishek comprehensively like discussed um a lot of the issues and a lot of the opinions surrounding it and i think uh i concur with him on this and i think just to add to that i guess um what it means, I think internationally, also uh, and domestically speaking, like vaccine nationalism might seem like a, a good option or like a good alternative when we have faced such stark um, or such drastic shortages in our own uh, domestic production and uh, dissemination of the vaccine itself. And uh, definitely dealing with the different strains has been an issue. But uh, in terms of the global healthcare as well, it poses certain uh like the credibility i guess that india was looking to build in its soft power relationships is put to a test when it uh it, it kind of is a reflection of a mismanagement so to say of uh you know the production and um the uh, sending out of vaccinations and i think given that india has such a large population and india contributes to so much of uh the vaccine production and everything and you know just dealing with the crisis within its domestic space itself would take off a lot of load of the world crisis in general i think it's it's something to look at and um definitely i think uh there is a space or there is a lot of potential in um you know, coming to terms with what can be done and in what uh, the further steps should be and in in how the country is dealing with it right now. So that would be my thoughts on this.
0: Great. Um, Thank you so much, Sakshi and Nabhishek. Um, I think it's been a great fruitful discussion on vaccine diplomacy. if you want to learn more about vaccine diplomacy, you can check out Sakshi's article on the same, uh, on our website, productsradicraft.org, and um, you can read more about it there. But yeah, that brings uh, brings us to a close of this episode. Thank you so much guys for joining us.
2: Thank you, Shirs. Thank you, Sakshi. It was uh, it was great being part of this episode and having such a stirring conversation. Um, looking forward to reading your article, uh, Sakshi. Thank you so much for this
1: um thank you um thank you shreyas thank you abhishek uh, it definitely was and i think i learned so much more uh, from this conversation that we've had and it's so important in today and uh yes i look forward to your feedback on the article as well thank you mm-hmm.